The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to I Took the High Road with Jacob Jansen. Our program is designed to educate about the drug problems that are reaching epidemic proportions in the United States. Could we be approaching the drug problem the wrong way? Mr. Jansen has been down the road of addiction, down the path of recovery, and now helps others find their path. Addicts are not bad people trying to get good. They're sick people needing to get well. Are you a part of the solution or the problem? Come and join us for an hour of fantastic guests, amazing stories, positive encouragement, and information that just might make your community a better place. Now, here is your host, Jacob Jansen. Hello, I am Jacob Jansen, and you're listening to I Took the High Road. Um, I have a very exciting show today, one that I've been wanting to do for quite a while, Chronic Pain Without Painkillers. Uh, and we, we have two guests today with us. The first is Vincent Hack. He's a chronic pain patient, left leg amputee, and we're going to hear his story this morning. Later on in the show, uh, we're going to welcome medical director uh, Dr. Mel Pohl from the Las Vegas Recovery Center. It's a premier uh, chronic pain treatment facility that deals with uh, opiate patients and chronic pain. Uh, so in you know some of my last shows, we've really been talking about this uh, ballooning of opiate prescriptions out there and, and the real growth that's happening. Uh, from 1999 to 2010, uh, some statistics say there was over a 400% increase, and these are legitimate prescription increases. Now, there was just a news article. I'm from Milwaukee. This came out on Fox 6 News in Milwaukee. It says, busted. 51 arrested and charged accused of manufacturing fraudulent prescriptions and filling them. So that's 51 people. They say it was a total of 196 prescriptions, over 300,000 Valiant Street drugs. Um, what does that really say about this problem? That if, if the, the drugs that we are measuring, the opiates that we are measuring have gone up 400%, we're not even taking into account the illegal activities and, and the prescriptions that are out there. And it's really getting out of control. Uh, one of the biggest things that when I do interventions for opiate addicts, people that are opiate dependent, is there's this huge justification that they're in pain and they can't get off of these pain medications because they need it for the pain. Um, I want to introduce our first guest today. Um, he he kind of contradicts that idea of that you have to be on pharmaceuticals if you have chronic pain. Uh, Vincent Hack, I want to welcome you to the show today. Thanks, Jake. Thanks. So, Vincent, can you please tell our listeners what happened that got you hooked on these prescription opiates? Well, back in 08, I was, um, I was, uh, I was an iron worker for 25 years, and uh, I, uh, 
I was driving a crane down in Chicago, tearing apart a factory, and the the crane toppled, and I wound up pinned underneath it and losing my left leg below the knee in a traumatic amputation situation. A, a bar cut my leg off. Um, the crane fell on me a couple of more times when they tried to get it off of me, and to make a long story short, about a week later, I woke up in a coma from a coma with a morphine drip in my arm. And that's pretty much how my opiate in life started. Sure. And, and one of the misconceptions about people who, you know, get to opiates or opiate dependent is there's this gateway or this path or only one way to, to, to get to that point. And, and certainly there are similarities between different people. But what was your life like prior to the accident as far as chemical usage i mean were you a well, big partier or drinker uh, no or? i i i worked for like i said i worked for 25 years i pretty much worked on the road doing uh doing uh field installs building buildings whatever it took raised four kids um had some had some issues back in the early 90s with some alcohol issues but i pretty much left that behind and uh just i lived my life pretty much to the fullest every day and it's yeah pretty much every day i'd lived it to the fullest my chemical usage was a minimum 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 sure you know and and i know i was talking to you uh prior to the show and you were you know mentioning to me that uh your chemical usage you were doing up to a thousand milligrams of of oxycontin a day when did you realize that those prescriptions you were taking were doing more harm than good I I was in a wheelchair, and uh, I was pretty much by, at the end of when I decided the addiction had overtaken my life completely. I was going from my bed to the wheelchair and from the wheelchair to my bed. My, my life had become unmanageable. I was not functioning. And my wife... My wife was checking on me to make sure I was breathing on a hourly basis. I can relate. Uh, one of the first shows that I did, my parents spoke about um, how they were checking on me to make sure that I was alive and breathing. And I, I really didn't realize how much I was impacting some of those other people. Uh, you know, you briefly mentioned that you used alcohol in the past, in the early 90s, uh, for whatever reason. How are these two incidents different? So com the, compared to being on opiates versus being a drinker, how, how did that compare? Um, I never felt on alcohol that I had to have more the next day, that I had to have it. In order for me to function on opiates, I had to have, I had to hit a certain point every day, otherwise I was non-functioning. Yeah, you know, and I, and I think that's really so hard for most people to understand because they have this idea that okay, I've drinking alcohol and it's so easy for me to quit, and and it's those type of people that really don't understand the disease of addiction because they haven't experienced it. Um, you know, it's it's the people that have gone through it that can really say from personal experience that opiates are far different than some of the other substances out there and that you become dependent on these things. And, and I'm going to talk to Mel Pohl, just uh, Dr. Mel Pohl a little bit later, uh, about why some of that dependency um, and, and those issues occur. So, Vincent, how, how did you eventually get off the opiates? What was that process like? I know it was extremely difficult for well, me. Well, the, 
the day that I just the day I decided I was going, I really didn't. I really kind of didn't even. I had I had a I had a psychiatrist appointment, and I went into my my doctor and I was honest. This is where I'm at. This is what I'm doing. I'll be dead by Christmas if I don't get help. And she, I got I got in the cab. I went to treatment. I went and got off of the. Uh, I spent three days in detox. They put me on Suboxone at that point, which is a blocker, and it 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 stopped me from being ill. But I never would have gotten to the point of even getting off if I hadn't chosen my heart that this wasn't the way I wanted to live. Yeah, you know, and, and that's that choice is so difficult uh, for so many people. And in AA, the first step really uh, talks about. Uh, recognizing that there's an issue and accepting that you can't handle that issue by yourself, that, that, you, that this is a problem and you need to take care of it. That's really the gist of the first step. Um, what has worked for you in your recovery? Or in other words, what now has helped you deal with some of that physical pain and post-traumatic stress caused by that accident, that left leg amputation? I, uh, I have... Uh... I have one. I, I live. I live in a, a state that is non-medical for uh, cannabis use, but I do use a little bit, maybe a gram of high-grade medical cannabis a day. So how how does that compare uh, as far to the com- the the pharmaceuticals that are out there? When when you use this substance, uh, you know how does it work? Uh, compared to the pharmaceuticals, better, worse? What do you, what, how do you compare? actually better? Because I didn't, I never saw a doctor before I got hurt. I was healthy as a horse. I went to work every day. I never had any real medical issues. Um, the the pain issues that I walk on, I feel pain in every step. That's part of life. It's going to be part of life. It's part of accepting the fact that I lost a leg. But when it comes to the cannabis use it makes there are different there are different compounds in the cannabis in an entourage effect it works for me i don't know if it works for everybody but i know it works for me i actually got off of suboxone back in february when they told me when i first went in i would be on it for the rest of my life that the day i went off it i would be right back on pills and 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 I want the the listeners to to be real clear about this, Vincent. Are are you on any pharmaceuticals? None, not a one. You know that's fantastic. Get out of the the uh, no farms, pharmaceutical no pocket. Uh, you know, and and you, you mentioned that you know you you live with pain on a day to day basis. You know, and for some people that's just part of being human. You know that everybody experiences pain. Um, it's really how we deal with it and we can either take a pill and try and mask this pain the quick way uh, or you can really start dealing with some of the underlying conditions, the reason why the, the pain is uh, there and, and try and figure out something else and it seems like you've found something that's, that's Yeah, that and I'm a mechanic. I'm a wrench. I'm a tool. It's just the, the, the person I am. I found that it's much easier for me to deal with my prosthetic and try and take my pain away mechanically than it is chemically. Because chemically is just a mask. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas I actually have found solutions by working mechanically on my prosthesis. 
And I I know you mentioned that uh, that was one of the things that you used to help you in your recovery. What what are some of the other things that you use besides you know medicinal marijuana to to help you deal with some of the post traumatic uh, stress? The pain? I attend I attend NA on a regular basis every week. Okay. Um, I fit. That's the niche I found for myself, and uh, I'm I'm by by. With a lot of humility in this, I'm I'm graced with a very wonderful wife who I've been married to for 27 years, who really don't take any crap from me. It's just the way it is. She knew me when I was on these pills, and she knows, and she can look in my eyes and tell if I'm in pain. It's like having another soul. It's just the way it is. Yeah, and there's something to be said if your family can stand with you, and that's the stigma of this disease. A lot of people look at it as though it's a it's a character flaw. Sure, and it's actually it's a disease. Well, and and your example of you know getting in a traumatic accident is by no means uh, completely unique. You know th- this happens all across the country through crane accidents, car accidents, sports injuries, people getting hurt on uh, you know and and they're be- being prescribed these really high doses of pain medications. For me it was uh, low back pain, spinal stenosis and disc degeneration but in taking these medications the pain actually got worse you know and you mentioned that also, and it, it, it seems like such a paradoxical thing to say. Take painkillers and the pain gets worse. Uh, but w- at least in my experience, when I would take these painkillers to mask the pain, it worked for a short period of time. Uh, but it was really in the withdrawals when the dependence came up that that pain that I had became exponentially worse and very, very difficult to deal with. The the physical withdrawals were there, and it became something that I almost had to do daily just to get out of bed. It, it wasn't about partying or having fun, uh, you know, like most people associate these drugs with. Um, what do you think... Uh, People living with pain right now, uh, what do they need to hear? It's a better life without pharmaceuticals. I'm not wrapped around where I'm going to get my next script. I'm not wrapped around the doctors telling me which direction I was going to go. I make my own choices today. And the best choice I make is not to take these, these drugs. And... There's a lot to be said for the fact that pain is an issue, I agree, with every... There's, I mean, we all get older. We're all going to get older. But in, it's a different generation where I remember my, both my parents, pain, they both worked hard every day. And my dad came home with a sore back, and my mom would rub it. And he got up the next day, and he went to work. And it just never... It, it never it came into play of the fact of... I just take a pill to fix it. It's immediate gratification. You don't have to live that way. You don't have to wake up sick every morning because until you get to your pill bottle. Yeah, and and, and it's odd because it's like you still have the pain, but now you're sick every morning after taking these for months and months. And it, uh, it certainly is a, a highly addictive drug, um, you know. And and uh, with many many cases of of heroin use 
it really starts with these prescription opiates. Uh, so, Vincent, do you have any final message out there for people struggling also with, you know, in pain, but also struggling with opiate addiction? My message is, if you wanna, if you wanna come back, you've got to make your own choice. If you, if you can, if you can see what you were prior to being on opiates, you can have that back again. It takes a little while. Post-acute withdrawal actually lasts probably anywhere from one to two years getting off of this. Yeah. And it's not so much the physical, it's the psychological. Yeah. And it can be done. And it's a better day-to-day -day every time I take a step and I feel my leg than when I was 310 pounds sitting in a wheelchair and just waiting to die. And that's was that was what it came to. I was just waiting to die. And and I think it's so important for for our listeners to to hear that that it can be done. Uh, you can get off these substances. Uh, don't try and do it alone. I know how difficult it is, and and that doesn't mean that you have to hire a professional. But get somebody in your corner. Get a family member, a friend, somebody who understands this disease, a doctor, a counselor uh, that can push you in that right direction and get you off these opiate substances. So, uh, Vincent, I want to thank you for for being at the show today. Uh, not a problem, Jake. Anytime. Okay. Uh, when we come back. I will talk with nationally renowned medical director Mel Pohl, MD of the Las Vegas Recovery Center, about chronic pain without painkillers. Now, here's a quick word from my sponsors. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Hi, my name is Jacob Jansen, and I am the owner of My Recovery Project. Do you know someone using drugs or alcohol? Are their actions negatively affecting you or people you care about? If so, it is time for an intervention. Far too often, we are a country that acts after problems arise. It is time to act now. Interventions confront a person and allow them to see their self-destructive behavior and how it affects themselves, family, and friends. Just as important, interventions help the family understand the disease of addiction and make sure the loved one gets the help they need by offering a solution of treatment. I have been through the hell of addiction, and I have found a passion in recovery helping others. Getting a person into treatment can be a difficult task. I help the family through this providing options, and I become a mediator during the intervention. If you would like more information, please visit www.myrecoveryproject.com or call 262-290-1072 for a free consultation before things get worse. My name is Linda Lenz. Last year, my husband and I received a phone call that no parent should ever receive. We received a call that our 23-year-old son had died of a heroin overdose. We were on a mission to find out how this could happen. He was a beautiful person, intelligent, a straight-A student, and a wonderful son. But here's what we did not know. The drug landscape had changed. Kids in junior high and high school were using prescription pills to get high. Prescription pills are opiates, just like heroin, and they can be found in almost every home's medicine cabinet. To combat this problem, we established a Facebook page, Stop Heroin WI, and 
a website, stopheroinnow.org. Please go to this website and donate generously. All of your money goes directly to prevention programs and rehabilitation programs. StopHeroinNow.org So no parent ever has to receive that phone call. You are listening to I Took the High Road with host Jacob Jansen. To reach our show today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or send us an email at jacobjansen at itookthehighroad.com. Now, back to the show. Hello and welcome back. I am your host, Jacob Jansen, and you are listening to I Took the High Road. Today's show is Chronic Pain Without Painkillers, and we just finished hearing Vincent Hack's story of pain, addiction, and recovery, and I am now joined by a very special guest, Mel Pohl. Mel Pohl, MD, FASAM, is a board-certified family practitioner. He is vice president of medical affairs and the medical director of the Las Vegas Recovery Center. Dr. Pohl was a major force in developing the Las Vegas Recovery Center's Chronic Pain Rehabilitation Program. He is certified by the American Board of Addiction Medicine and a fellow of the American Society of Addiction Medicine. He was elected by his peers for inclusion in Best Doctors in America from 2009 to 2011, and he is a nationally known public speaker and co-author of Pain Recovery, How to Find Balance and Reduce Suffering from Chronic Pain, released in 2009, and Pain Recovery from Family. How to Find Balance When Somebody Else's Chronic Pain Becomes Your Problem Too. Um, Dr. Pohl is also the author of A Day Without Pain, uh, which won a silver medal from the Independent Book Publisher Award in May of 2009. Um, and, and one of the things uh, that I'm very excited about also is he's also in long-term recovery. So Dr. Mel, I'd like to uh, thank you for coming on the show today. Oh, it's good to be here. Thanks for asking. So, uh, Dr. Mel, can you please tell our listeners a little bit about the Las Vegas Recovery Center and really what makes it different and sets it apart from other treatment facilities across the United States? Sure. Uh, Las Vegas Recovery Center began almost 11 years ago as a pretty traditional uh, detox and rehab. Uh, And within the first few years, I realized that I could detox people very effectively from high-dose opioid medications, painkillers, that we've been talking about in the first segment, uh, including methadone. We have a license to use methadone for detox, which is pretty unusual. The long and the short of it is, however, that about half the people that I would detox would say, well, what are you going to do about my pain? I started on these medicines, just like Vincent did, for pain. And I would sort of shrug my shoulders and say, well, I guess you go back to your pain doctor, because that's who usually prescribed them. And I just seemed lame, (laughs) you know. I mean, I'm in the field of of addiction medicine, and I'm a physician because I really do want to help people improve their lives. So I started investigating chronic pain and researching uh, techniques that were uh, available for people who were off meds but who really had persistent pain. And we created a program that we call Pain Recovery uh, and we've been operating almost seven and a half years now, treated hundreds of patients with both pain and issues with 
medications, usually painkiller opioid medications, uh, and that that program really sets us apart from almost any treatment program in the country. You know, I I love that term, pain recovery. And in your website, uh, you talk about pain recovery versus pain management. Can you explain the differences between the two? Sure. Uh, Pain management is a specialty. It's a fairly new specialty that arose. And most pain management doctors have trained as anesthesiologists. Uh, The reason they got the the label and the the accreditation is they're really good at uh, injecting things into the spine. So uh, a procedure called epidural uh, injections for back pain is done most effectively by them. And and just, I think, almost by default, they ended up with offices where people are treated who have chronic pain problems. And they have two uh, tools in pain management, essentially. They use medications, uh, in typically in increasing doses, and injections. And that's a pretty limited uh, armamentarium for somebody who has chronic pain. And as I've learned over the last uh, eight years, so much of chronic pain resides in the brain, and so much of what affects the brain uh, is related to thoughts and feelings, that messing with somebody's spine is not an effective, ultimately not an effective way to deal with somebody with low back pain. I, you know, and, and I was a patient with low back pain and I remember getting very high doses of narcotics, Mm -hmm. uh, but also getting those cortisol shots about every three months and remembering that it worked temporarily, but the pain always came back. And now I'm a little over four years off of the opiate medication Mm -hmm. and my pain is far more manageable. Yeah. And Uh, I mean, we don't see that a hundred percent of the time with our patients. Sure. I wish we did, but we see sure. it at, at like eighty-five percent to ninety percent of people. When the opioids go away, their pain goes down, and there's a physiological explanation for that. Yeah, can can you please explain some of the sure. neurobiology behind tolerance dependence and addiction, and why Absolutely. it's so difficult to stop Absolutely. these meds? And we have like four hours to do this. <laughs> so condensed let's, version. Yeah. Let's try and do a condensed version. The 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 body experiences pain in response to a number of things. There's acute pain, which is really very functional and helpful. It's good if you sprain your ankle that it hurts so you don't walk on it. Chronic pain is a, it's almost like a, a perversion of the normal pain system. And it really starts a reverberating circuit that's, that comes from wherever, you know, whether it's uh, Vincent's uh, absent leg, you know, in, in his uh, stump area or in your back. I also have some back pain. I mean, we have patients with abdominal pain and headaches. Wherever the signal comes from, the, the real meaning of the pain is, is uh, uh, created in the brain, the, the true perception of pain. Now, even though I don't need my back pain, I don't know about you, but it, it's simply a drag. I mean, no, Ab- Vincent, yeah. Vincent's yeah. leg is gone. He doesn't need pain in that area. It's, it's, a, it's a production of the brain. So we would call that maladaptive pain. Okay. The, so the, the essence of what we can do for somebody with maladaptive pain is work on decreasing the brain stimulation. Let's say I take a pill uh, like a Lortab or a, a codone or an Oxycontin or morphine. It suppresses pain in the brain both emotional and physical pain, but the body thinks we need it. So in essence, when I take an opioid for long enough, my body 
creates chemicals inside my brain that cause higher levels of pain on the opioids than, than I had before I started them. And it's not only pain in the area that was sore, it's usually pain that's pretty diffuse all over the body with aching and, and sensitivity to touch. Uh, and that's called opiate-induced hyperalgesia, more pain on the opioids than off the opioids. So there's a physiological basis for how this occurs. And uh, the results are that uh, the more meds I take, the more pain I have. Now, you mentioned tolerance. Tolerance is really the pill stops working, so I have to increase the dose. On the steady dose, I, I don't get the, the effect, which is why the, the people tend to use stronger and stronger pills or higher and higher quantities. That's a different phenomenon than what I just described. Both of those are at play in somebody who's on chronic opioids. And, and the last term you, you mentioned is addiction, which is a it, it's not a simply defined uh, condition, but the, the best definition I've heard is from the American Society of Addiction Medicine, ASAM, a group of docs who study and treat addiction. And the key phrase there is the pathological pursuit of reward, which is like getting high, or relief, and or relief, which is taking away pain. So it's when we get into that cycle where I have to have relief and it doesn't matter what happens, and as Vincent said, his function goes down and he's not operating, that really begins to define problematic use and, and ultimately addiction. You know, and, and I was certainly there when, when you said uh, you're recognizing that this stuff is causing problems, but I was so dependent on my medication, even after I got in trouble with the law and the judicial system and had to take drug tests, I would have to use every morning to get out of bed to go to, to know that I was going to fail this drug test for the court systems. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to make it there. I was in so much pain uh, from the withdrawals and the right. dependence of the drug that it, it made it almost impossible to live life without it. And, yes. and for me, that had to stop. Yeah, um, and, and, and what you've just described is a number of things, certainly the psychological drive to do the drug, but also the physical dependence. I mean, when you take an opioid for a long period of time, usually more than a month, the body gets used to it. That's why we get tolerant, but also it becomes physically dependent so that when you stop, you're in withdrawal, and withdrawal, of course, is the opposite of effect of the drug. So that means pain and stomach cramps and diarrhea and agitation and sleep disturbance and all sorts of terrible things. You know, and, and I used for 11 years, and I say I was opiate dependent for mm -hmm. nine, and IV mm -hmm. user for four and a half. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was amazing how insidious that pull in was, yeah. that how, yeah. how it slowly destroyed my life and took away everything that was good for me until I had yeah. nothing left. Yeah. So, you know, for me, uh, the the double-edged sword of getting in trouble, pushing me into the treatment facility, dealing with the problems naturally instead of chemically induced, uh, you know, was super positive and saved my life. So at the Las Vegas Recovery Center, what are some of the alternative non-medication methods of pain relief that you use? Uh, well, we work primarily in, in four areas. And uh, uh, the the literature that, that uh, is available and the books that I've written all talk about points of balance uh, in finding a way to live with chronic pain without medication and have a quality life. And, and the areas that we focus on are 
mental and emotional, and, and most of what we do for those is we, we work in groups and we work individually with patients, and a lot of the most important work that we do, I think, relates to how people think about the pain. In other words, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a four now, but I know if I get up out of bed, it's going to be a six, and then it's going to be an eight, because every day it's an eight, you know, that's the pattern. Well, that's called anticipation based on previous experience, which locks you into a, a place that really is very unhealthy. So we use a, a treatment called cognitive behavioral therapy to sort of unwind some of those unhealthy thoughts. Um, they're called cognitive distortions. We also use other therapies. We use dialectical behavioral therapy, which really focuses on distress reduction, less suffering, and also um, mindfulness practice. And that really works with, with emotional problems uh, more than, than thought problems. Uh, we, we do another therapy called acceptance commitment therapy, which is about finding not what's important about your pain, but what's important about your life. What do you want to do? You know, Vincent described coming back to his life. Uh, so, so did you a little bit. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Whether it's fishing or hanging out with your grandkids or going back to work or painting or, you know, and whatever is valuable to you, finding the value and focusing on that, and, and studies have shown that reduces pain. We also okay. do a lot of physical interventions. We have an acupuncturist and a massage therapist and a Reiki master and yoga and Qigong and physical therapy and a trainer. So we spend a lot of time with people. One of the things that happens when you have chronic pain is you stop moving because it hurts to move. And the less you move, the more pain you have. So people have to come back to life and they have to start. It's called reanimation, you know, getting moving again. And then yeah. the fourth area is spiritual. We're, we're, we're strong believers in 12-step recovery for people who have addiction. And actually the principles of the 12 steps work really well for people, even if they don't identify addiction, but rather uh, chemical dependence uh, that can respond to surrender. You know, I give. I'm not going to fight this pain any longer. I'm going to allow myself to have pain and move on. Sure. You know, and uh, one, when I was in early recovery, um, I was so, I don't, I don't want to say fearful to try new things, but I just thought they wouldn't work. You know, that, that how is going to sticking a little needle in my back or adjusting my spine, you know, chiropractically, really going to uh, counteract or, or, or have the same effect as, as the pain medication did. Uh, one of my biggest fears in early recovery was, was though that if I got seriously injured and again was prescribed mm. opiates, how yeah. would I get off of them? Uh, what, you know, to, even to the point where I was scared to take aspirin. So what can be done for a person in recovery from opiates if they're seriously injured or how should they handle that situation? What do they say to doctors? Well, it's a great question. The first point I want to make is you're not injured. You know, today you're not injured, and and you know that's that whole projective mind that says, well, what about this? What about that? And yep, yep. It, I'm not suggesting that we don't have a plan and discuss the plan, but I am saying so many of my patients say to me, you know what? I'm great. My pain is down 50 percent. I feel better. My mood is better. But I know when I go back home. Uh, things are going to change. Well, you're not going back home for three weeks, so let's work on a plan for reentry that will diminish the problems rather than spending today worrying about what's going to happen if and when you get in a car accident. You get what I'm saying? No, absolutely. One day at a time, you got to right. focus on today and what you, what you can there change. You uh, 
That said, if you get into, uh, you know, I had a kidney stone, and I am, as you said, a person in long-term recovery, and I, I held out for a little while, and then I, I simply had to have morphine because it was it was a 10 out of 10 pain. I'd never experienced anything like that in my life. And I took some pain medications for a few days. Um, the, the principles of, of needing opioids are, the, you ask yourself three questions, and these are in, our wor- in the workbook, uh, Pain Recovery. The first question is, if you think you need opioids, uh, the, the, ask yourself the question, do I really need the opioid? If the answer to that is yes, then the second question is, do I really, really need the opioid? <laughs> and if the answer to both of those is yes, the third question you could probably guess is, do I really, really, really need the opioid? Now, I, I went through those questions instantaneously when the kidney stone hit. Um, but if the answers are iffy, that's something you can discuss with, with a support system. It's critical if you're going to expose your brain to opioids that your, your state of balance is as close to uh, functional as it can be. So it really behooves the person to really check out, you know, do a little inventory of how, I'm, how are my spiritual connections and how, how is my, my body, you know, how have I been working, have I been exercising, have I been slacking off on things that I committed to, is my nutrition uh, up to standard, um, am I smoking cigarettes, you know, and, and then, of course, What's the state of my emotions? If I'm stressed and anxious and fretful and, and depressed, those should be dealt with along with the decision to deal uh, with a habit-forming or potentially habit-forming pill in response to pain. I would discourage anybody who's got chronic pain to go back on medication like an opioid for a flare-up of their chronic pain. We see people in our treatment center, they go to physical therapy for the first time and you know, five, ten years, and they get sore. And their pain can go up, you know, 20, 30%. And a lot of people uh, say when that happens, and we use muscle relaxants and we use anti-inflammatories like ibuprofen, and we use ice and heat and the TENS unit and all sorts of uh, devices that can diminish pain. But at the end of the day, they can they, they report to me, oh, I, you know, I, I didn't have to take opioids. I normally would have taken high-dose opioids in the past. And the reason for that is there's always the potential to, if I put an opioid in my body and I've had opioid dependence in the past, there's a really strong concern that that might recur. That said, if you have a broken leg or a kidney stone or you're going out into surgery, It's appropriate to take opioids for as short a period as you can. It's a good idea to have somebody in the family or a friend hold the drug so you don't have a bottle of 100 in your hand. Uh, And I always tell patients, try and be on them on the short end of the the curve. So if some people, you know, the doc says uh, most people are done in three weeks, work towards being done in two and a half to three weeks. If you're on them at four weeks, there should be red lights going off because that's the beginning potentially of that uh, upward cascade. And, you know, if people are in contact with a sponsor and with a, a recovery program, utilize that. Go to a meeting and talk about this and you'll hear 20, 30, 40 people tell you stories about, oh, this is how I got through that. 
it, it is absolutely so important to find that balance in your recovery uh, that you are talking about. And, and if you want to uh, look up Dr. Mel Pohl's books, again, the name of his uh, two books, Pain Recovery, How to Find Balance and Reduce Suffering from Chronic Pain, and also Pain Recovery for Families, How to Find Balance When Someone Else's Chronic Pain Becomes Your Problem Too. Uh, we have to take a quick commercial break here, but when we come back, more with Mel Pohl, Medical Director, uh, Dr. Mel Pohl medical director of the Las Vegas Recovery Center. Here's a quick word from my sponsors. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. My name is Linda Lenz. Last year, my husband and I received a phone call that no parent should ever receive. We received a call that our 23-year-old son had died of a heroin overdose. We were on a mission to find out how this could happen. He was a beautiful person, intelligent, a straight-A student, and a wonderful son. But here's what we did not know. The drug landscape had changed. Kids in junior high and high school were using prescription pills to get high. Prescription pills are opiates, just like heroin, and they can be found in almost every home's medicine cabinet. To combat this problem, we established a Facebook page, Stop Heroin WI, and a website, StopHeroinNow.org. Please go to this website and donate generously. All of your money goes directly to prevention programs and rehabilitation programs. StopHeroinNow.org. So no parent ever has to receive that phone call. Hi, my name is Jacob Jansen, and I am the owner of My Recovery Project. Do you know someone using drugs or alcohol? Are their actions negatively affecting you or people you care about? If so, it is time for an intervention. Far too often, we are a country that acts after problems arise. It is time to act now. Interventions confront a person and allow them to see their self-destructive behavior and how it affects themselves, family, and friends. Just as important, interventions help the family understand the disease of addiction and make sure the loved one gets the help they need by offering a solution of treatment. I have been through the hell of addiction, and I have found a passion in recovery helping others. Getting a person into treatment can be a difficult task. I help the family through this, providing options, and I become a mediator during the intervention. If you would like more information, please visit www.myrecoveryproject.com or call 262-290-1072 for a free consultation before things get worse. listening to I Took the High Road with host Jacob Jansen. To reach our show today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or send us an email at jacobjansen at itookthehighroad.com. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome back. I'm your host, Jacob Jansen, and you are listening to I Took the High Road. Today's show is Chronic Pain Without Painkillers, and I am joined by Dr. Mel Pohl, Medical Director of the Las Vegas Recovery Center. And before break, uh, we were talking about finding some of the balance, some of the different options that are available as far as pain management uh, in, in the treatment field. So, Mel, welcome back again. Thanks. Good to be here. So, Mel, Dr. Mel, what are some of the advances in pain management that you've seen since you started the field, or where is, is pain management headed? Well, it's, uh, I, I'm a little sorry to say that there are not uh, huge advances on the, on the, uh, on the near uh, future. Um, uh, essentially, we're doing the same things that we've done. I mean, at, at our program, we're doing things that we've done 20, 30 years ago in, in uh, pain programs, they uh, became less popular because they weren't getting paid uh, for. So insurance companies didn't want to uh, help people get back to function. They'd rather pay for medications. Well, medications are getting more and more expensive, and uh, consequently the insurance companies are a little more, just a little more interested in uh, alternatives. That said, uh, there are potential medications that, that might work on the opiate receptor that would not engage the receptor in a problematic way. So the, the idea would be to uncouple the, the uh, addicting effects of the drug and the reward effects of the drug from the pain-relieving effects of the drug. And, uh, you know, the reason I, I'm not that optimistic is the, the circuitry for reward is integrally, in, intimately, and inextricably woven with the circuitry for relief. So when I take, right now, when I take an opioid, I feel good. In fact, I feel very good. And if you have a, a brain of an addict, you feel powerfully good enough to do it again despite the consequences. And that, that link is really, if, if they could tease those two apart, we would be making huge strides because then we could give people relief without getting them hooked and without getting them uh, less functional the way uh, Vincent described, you know, staying, going from the bed to the chair. I mean, what kind of life is that? And that's really what I'm most interested in is seeing people get up and go. Um, I mean, there are a lot of people doing research with the kinds of therapies I talked about, cognitive behavioral mm-hmm. therapy, and really making some, some good strides in that. Um, and there are, uh, there are some uh, topical medications, and one of them is actual topical morphine that they're trying to develop. Mm-hmm. And if I could see that be developed without being absorbed, that would be, that would be very promising. I have to tell you that I don't trust the, the people who develop products because they care less about people's well-being and more about selling the product. Sure, uh, making the money. Yeah, correct. Right. So... When- the ahead, claims sorry. the claims just make me a little nervous sure one you know one of the things that i've certainly recognized you know is when i say painkillers 
I like to refer to them as stress reducers, dumping mass amounts of, you know, endorphins Mm -hmm. uh, into the head and they really reduce the stress so you can deal with the pain easier. And, you know, I tell people that if, you know, you have a broken leg or you've ever sprained your ankle and you take this painkiller, if somebody to walk by and smack your leg, it's going to hurt like heck still. Uh, You know, you're still going to feel that pain. It's not a local anesthetic, you know, like Novocaine where you'd put it in, get your tooth drilled, you can't feel anything. Um, Some of the studies that I've read and researched is, you know, working with some of blowfish poisons and, and natural things that actually stop the nerve from reaching the brain. So basically right. it kind of deadens right. that signal so they don't feel it right. anymore. Right. I'm very interested to see where that goes. Um, Me too. <laughs> one of the, uh, you know, things that is, has really been happening across this country um, is the legalization of medicinal marijuana. And in 2000, Nevada uh, passed medicinal marijuana use with ballot question nine at a rate of 65% in favor of legalization. It was one of the biggest percentage favors in favor of it. And Nevada was one of the first states to do it. The non or the, the CBD non-psychoactive ingredient in marijuana is shown to have pain relieving properties. What is your stance on medicinal marijuana as far as medicine for relieving pain? Sure. Um, good controversial question, uh, and and I feel quite strongly about um, what's happening in, in nationally. Uh, I think that the move to legalize marijuana has really been based, as is many incentives in our society, on making money, uh, and the people who have come to Nevada and lobbied and uh, you know spent really millions and millions of dollars getting that ballot initiative passed, <clears throat> represent the facts to their uh, advantage. Mm-hmm. My approach to, to marijuana uh, is <clears throat> there's no such thing as medical marijuana. There's no medicine called marijuana. Uh, medicine is something that is uh, regulated and uh, created in a licensed laboratory and uh, subject to standards. Now, I'm not a fan of pharmaceutical industry, but they are highly regulated in the way they produce substances that are going to enter people's bodies for treatment. Now, why is there such interest in, in quote, medical marijuana? Marijuana works in the body in the cannabinoid system, which has an impact on pain. And many people who ingest marijuana, whether orally or smoke it, have a reduction in pain. But like opioids, you know, so many people who take opioids have a reduction in pain. So the, sure. the real concern that I have is what else happens in the body when you ingest marijuana? And uh, just like opioids, marijuana is, is a dirty drug. If you're smoking it, you're clearly doing damage to your lungs. If you're ingesting it, it has a, an impact on your uh, digestive system and has an impact on your cognitive systems and your memory and your sleep cycle and your uh, cardiovascular system. So to say I'm, you know, medical marijuana is the solution and that's what I use for pain is similar, in my opinion, to taking uh, opioids for pain. I mean, there are risks well, involved. And, 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 and 
And, and I do want to be clear that, you know, it, it is not for everybody. And, and as a recovery coach, we work in harm reduction to get people off this. Ultimately, you know, I want my clients to find happiness without any substance. Uh, yeah. But when I see clients on opiates, you know, as Vincent said, uh, he didn't have this constant compulsion to have to go out and use or do this. And, and really my stance, and because of the prohibition, there has been a far less government regulation. Uh, now, as we're seeing it in Colorado, there's doing a lot of testing, medical testing. They're making sure that it's free of uh, bacteria and mold and spores. They're making sure that, you know, that the, mm-hmm. the psychoactive ingredients are tested properly. Um, and, and one of the things, I am a pro-medical marijuana advocate, and one of the things that I'd really like to see happen um, is they're projecting $3 billion in sales just in Colorado alone right now this year, $500 million of which is tax tax relief. I would really like to see that tax money go back into school education systems and the healthcare system. You know, that if, if people are going to be using this medicinally, I'd really like to see those profits go right back into the healthcare system and figure out how to solve this problem and, yeah. uh, you know, uh, make a dent in this. Um, yeah, I, I think we'll probably, with our limited time, agree to disagree. Uh, sure. <laughs> I, I think that, uh, you know, my biggest concern uh, Jacob, about the use of medical marijuana is, or the availability of marijuana. So Colorado and Washington are good examples. Is that though the portrayal is that these are going to be kept out of the hands of adolescents? Yeah. You and I know that young people are going to have easier access to these drugs, and you also know that early exposure to a drug like marijuana damages young brains. So sure. well, my well, ba- the basis of my concern is really the 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 effect it's going to have on our young people. No, well, and, and and I agree with you that it certainly does damage the brain. It can slow impairment and, and the thought process, and it's definitely not good for youth. But uh, I can go to any high school in my area of the country and ask kids what's easier to get, alcohol or, or marijuana, um, and they will say marijuana every however, time that we know prohibition doesn't work. However... <laughs> this is the last. Well, it doesn't have to be. You can have the last word. So, no, but, okay. Uh, in, in what we know is that young people use drugs when they perceive them being safe. So mm-hmm. if we legalize it, and my folks are chewing edibles in the living room, and I grow up with this culture, my belief and my concern is that as a consequence we're going to see a generation of young people, not like we've seen so far, like nothing we've ever seen, who are using marijuana and dependent on marijuana because, gee, it's safe, it's legal. The doctors say it's a good thing to to take for any, I mean, God, medical marijuana, people who have licenses for marijuana in my state, it's pitiful. I mean, what's your diagnosis? Well, I had a hangnail, and I went to Dr. Reefer, Dr. Reefer, and I got this supposed medication. So, you know, I think it's not what it's cracked up to be. Like anything, there are pros. And if we could get CBD, and that really was the question that you asked that I didn't respond to, if we could get isolated CBD, which doesn't have the brain effects that marijuana itself has, the marijuana that they're dispensing now out of dispensaries in Nevada, we'd be in a different shape. So I'm not... 
and and Wisconsin actually just this year passed uh, the CBD components right. of marijuana for medical right. use, just as the CBD component. And and I'm going to have another show in the future talking about medical marijuana. I know we're getting to the end of the show, so I want to get back on track. Right. Uh, the, the real quick uh, the. You just did a, a TV spot on USA Today about older Americans and opiates and the growing problem. Why do you think this problem has ballooned out of control right now over the last 15 years or so? Um, well, you know, our culture is getting older. Uh, our bodies are getting older, and uh, a lot of chronic pain is response to wear and tear. Uh, and, you know, when you live six decades, you have a lot more wear and tear on your body than when you live two decades. Um, the, the other thing is, I think, culturally, and, you know, the, the, the marijuana debate is, is in there somewhere. I think we don't, we're, we're a society more and more over the last 20 to 30 years uh, that wants instant relief, that wants instant gratification, and, you know, we have a, a medical community and a pharmaceutical industry that supports, give me something for my, for, to make me feel better. Uh, Mel, and we could talk for a whole nother, Dr. Mel, we could talk yeah. for a whole nother hour. What's the name of your book real quick? I got about 30 seconds. Oh, know. gosh. Uh, the book is The Pain Antidote. Uh, it's going to be out in the spring. The subtitle is The Proven Program to Help You Stop Suffering from Chronic Pain avoid addiction to painkillers, and reclaim your life. I wrote it with Kathy Ketchum. Sounds good. Dr. Mel thank Pohl, you. thank you for being here. If you want to learn more about him, uh, you can find him at the Las Vegas Recovery Center. Uh, that's all the time we have today, but please join us next week. I am Jacob Jansen, and this is I Took the High Road. Have a great week and enjoy life. Thank you for listening to I Took the High Road. Please join Jacob Jansen for another encouraging hour next Friday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll see you next week.